0: Because the east side is, you know, Somalia and all that, we didn't want to go over there. So, Saudi sounded like a cool place to visit. And wow, this, this one's a big story.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Dan Harding, editor in chief of Power Motor Yacht. I'd like to welcome you back to the Power Motor Yacht podcast. Right now, you're listening to part two of Reverber first audio doc. I'm Roger Moore, the founder of Nautical Ventures, who embarked on an unbelievable 13-year adventure around the world a number of years ago. So if you didn't get the chance to listen to part one, you definitely want to see that one first to get caught up. You can find it at wherever you listen to podcasts, also at pymag.com slash podcasts, and get caught up before diving in. But those that did listen last week and are all caught up, Where'd we leave off? Roger started out with his wife for a couple week trip. We're now a number of years into their epic voyage around the world, and they're just arriving now at Saudi Arabia. and the story just it takes off from here. They have unbelievable encounters and adventures through Saudi Arabia, the Middle East. There's involvement with secret police. There's an incident with a shotgun and machine gun ammo. Trust me, you don't want to miss part two. I'm glad you're here with us. This episode, as always, brought to you by Power Motor Yacht Magazine, which is a magazine that celebrates the very best stories in boating, stories like this and so much more. I hope you'll support us and subscribe at pmymag.com slash subscribe. All right, without further ado, part two of my conversation with the one and only Roger Moore. So we we arrive and the there are a lot of reefs.
0: Off the coast of Saudi Arabia, and some of them are uncharted on purpose. They, they, for security purposes, and all this. So we worked our way up. Um, Weather was a little bit rough. We had to anchor behind one of the reefs for for a night or a day. And we we radio in to the port, the Islamic port of Jeddah, and say that we'd like permission to come in. And they gave us a place to anchor. They said, you know, anchor and anchorage Charlie. So I'm looking at the map. Anchorage Charlie's is like 140 feet deep or something. I said, can we move in around to Charlie, to Anchorage Alpha, where it's, you know, less we'll deep? reach, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, they let us do that. And then the pilot boat comes out. Customs, uh, immigration, police, uh, all of these guys come on the boat. Very pleasant.
1: Okay. Extremely I was nice. which way we were going with this. No.
0: Extremely nice. And, you know, the Choy Lee a round-bottom boat. And if you're not under sail and you're not moving, it's a roller. So we're kind of rolling out there, and these guys are saying, well, "This is how are you going to how are you going to sleep out here?" This is maybe we can get permission for you to come into the port while we see about your visa. But we had to spend one night out there. The next morning, uh, they send out the pilot boat. Follow me. So we go in, and they made a place for us at the foot of the. Uh, they've got a brand new like fifty million dollar control tower that looks out over radar looks out over the the uh, the red sea, and we're at the base of this thing um, beautiful facility, not a yacht facility, no other boats and uh, we're there about five minutes and a forklift comes out and deposits a guard shack about fifty feet from the boat and there's a a, a military guy there with a uh, with a machine gun, uh, you know, or, yeah, or yeah, an AR-15, whatever it is, yeah, rifle, yeah. and uh, he's watching us. Your personal, not just, not feeling intimidated. Yeah, he's yeah. just Watch. security yeah. watching. And about twenty minutes later, up pulls this big Oldsmobile, and two guys get out with what I call OPEC garb: Thob and gutra. You know, the white, mm-hmm. the the whole yeah. Saudi getup. And I find that this is the Secret police watching the military watch us. This is crazy. <laughs> this is really, really crazy. Um, but, again, no intimidation, no nothing. What do you need? Well, that's what their question, you know, yeah. why are you here? Yeah. You don't have a visa. Why are you here? Well, because we're running a little low on fuel and water. We hit some bad weather on the way up here. You really just wanted to, yeah, okay, all right. Uh, we all have a right for you know, uh, safe Harbor. Yeah. So I was playing on the safe Harbor and we met a couple of really nice people Mm -hmm. and they said, well, let's, we'll see if we can, what do you want? Fuel. Okay. So they deliver fuel to us. It was the most, it looked like champagne, Mm -hmm. no charge. They fill up the boat. I asked if I could get a couple of drums and I got a couple of extra 55 gallon plastic drums. They filled those up for me.
1: So wow. Um, One thing they're not short of over there is fresh fuel.
0: No, but it was so nice of them to to do that. And meantime, I'm up there uh, sitting down, eating with the guards, you know, with your your hands out of the common bowl and all that sort of thing. Left hand for sure. Um, And uh, making friends with with the people that are there. And the captain of the port police says, hey, there's uh, Commander Byers of the U.S. military is here. He's wrapping up after, this was just after Desert Storm. And he said, he saw your American flag. I'd like to know if he could come down and visit. So we said, absolutely. Come on down.
1: Yeah.
0: So Commander Jamie Byers comes down to visit us. And he says, what are you doing doing here? (laughs) Yeah. He says, you know, we're moving out. He says, you need a flight home? No. He says, do you need anything? And I said, no, not really. He says, well, we've got we got a whole container full of Cokes and beverages and all these well. sorts of things. He says, why don't I bring down some, a few cases of this stuff for you? Because we're just sending it home. Yeah. I said, save okay. me the bank." Great. So he brings down uh, all, all this the cases of stuff. And he says, let me see if I can get permission for you to come up and use our host phone. I said, what's a host phone? He says, well, the Saudis give us a, a, a phone line and a phone. So that we can call home anytime we want, and come on up. I'm sure you haven't been able to get to a phone for a long time, and of course we've been doing ham radio the yeah, whole time. Yeah. So Samantha and I get permission and go up there, and we call all our friends and family and all this. And
1: hey, we're in Saudi Arabia. We're, what are you doing What's there? Oh, the, a, their reaction must have been priceless. It was,
0: was fun. Uh, so then we're we're trying to find out can we get a can we get a visa. The next thing, the next thing was uh, the colonel of all the port police in the airport comes to visit us, and he brings Samantha Roses to say, "I'm sorry, um, we, we just we can't we can't get you a visa. They don't issue tourist visas at that time." And we're saying we understand, we really appreciate it, and they're all apologizing. So we're getting water, we're getting all these things, and. Sorry this goes on for a while, but it's no. really fun what happens. Yeah, yeah. When we were in Djibouti, we met the U.S. ambassador. He belonged to the yacht club. He saw our monkey. We invited him out. So we became friends with him. Uh-huh. We said, we want to get a, a, a visa. Can, we, can you help us? He says, that's tough, but let me give you the name of uh, the U.S. consul general in Saudi. His name was Chuck Angulo. So he gives me Chuck's name. So I call Chuck, who I find out loves boats, and I invite him down to, to visit us on the boat. And he says, I'd love to come, Roger, but I, I can't come. And I said, well, how come? He said, I don't know, but we can't gain access to the Jeddah Islamic port. So I said, OK, well, let me see what I can find out. So I talked to the colonel of the port police, and he said, yeah. They drive a diplomatic vehicle, it's not subject to inspection, and we can't let them in without inspecting, and we can't ask to inspect a diplomatic vehicle. So I said, what if he drove in a regular car? Oh, he won't do that. I said, what if he did? Oh, he'd be welcome. So we put together a little party. We invited the Colonel of the Port Police, the Captain of the Port Police, the secret police guy, Jamie Byers from the military, and Consul General.
1: So you're solving this is world peace. It's just right. it's coming together it's in the Middle East, thanks just to having fun, thanks right? to your boat. Yeah. So
0: here comes the car, two cars, from the U.S. Consul General with a couple of his aides, with four motorcycle escort with lights. You'd have thought the President of the United States was coming to visit us. Yeah. So they the Saudis rolled out the red carpet because they they did what they normally wouldn't do is drive a non-diplomatic vehicle. Yeah, And we had a phenomenal time with all of them. So we're talking to all of them and I'm almost coming to the end of this. <laughs> we're talking to all of them and having a great time. And I, I said, what's the status of the visa? Well, we're having trouble and we're not getting an answer. I said, okay, no problem. You know, um, I, I we appreciate all of you guys. It's been really fun. We've been there for four or five days now. And, uh, they're winking at me, saying, Samantha, don't don't you need to, you know, go visit? Your, she had a little eye problem. Don't you need to get your eye taken care of? Maybe we can get you into Jeddah, into the, the clinic to uh, take a look at that eye. And uh, so they got a, a medical uh, reason for us, for us to go in. And we toured around <laughs> Jeddah on the way to the clinic and then back to the boat. And we decided, okay, we've... We've imposed on these people enough. I mean, they were really nice taste, to us. Yeah. So he said, we're, we're going to depart. So they said, no, no, give us another day. Uh, so what happened was the colonel of the, overseeing the, the police, Commander Byers, and, one, and Chuck Angulo, the, the U.S. Consul General, all called the uh, minister of the interior, Prince Knife, and say, what is the status on the Moores' um, visa request? And he says, "Who the heck are these why, people? Why am I getting ten calls, calls to this, guy? To this yeah. guy?" So they send the secret police out to interview us. And the guy comes up to the boat. The monkey's tied on the back deck. They've got the the Thoban Gutra, you know the, and the monkey pulls up his skirt. The thobe and starts pulling the hair on his legs, and he's dancing on the back deck, laughing and having fun with his monkey. So he comes in the boat, and I figure, well, that just shot all our chances, but (laughs) but they were in love with the monkey. So we start talking, and he's asking us, what are you doing here? Why? Where have you been? Where are you going? You know, uh, nicely, respectfully asking these questions, and they said, well, we've got good news for you. When will you be ready? And I said... Ready for what? Prince Knife has made a reservation for you at the Hyatt Regency Hotel, a suite for you at the Hyatt Regency Hotel. You're guests of the Saudi government. I said, what? Uh, Well, we can't accept. I mean, that's... that's. Oh, it would be very rude of you not to accept. Samantha interrupts and she says, whenever you want, we'll be ready. We're ready. (laughs) We're ready.
1: I'm I'm packed. I am, yeah.
0: So so they put guards to take care of the, the pets and... They take us to the to Hyatt the, uh, Regency Hotel, a suite, uh, as guests of the Saudi government. The two secret police guys are now our tour guides. What do you want to see? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And They said, tomorrow morning, we're going to take you to a tailor, if it's all right with you, Mr. Moore. I'm uh, going to take you to a tailor, and we're going to have... Uh, Thobin Gutra made for you and an Abaya for Samantha. You don't have to wear them, but we're going to take you to some places where you'd be less conspicuous if you didn't. So it's up to you. I said, let's go. So they take us to the tailor. They fit us out with, you know, lovely uh, Thoban Gutra and Abaya and, you know, the, the black thing for. Yeah, this, is, th- this is amazing. Yeah. Can't pay for anything. We go into the store. We want to pick up a couple of things. Can't pay. We are Saudi hospitality. I never understood the term. So we're doing all these things with them. We've been there for four or five days. And they said, is there anything else you'd like? And I said, well, I understand that the Kuwaitis ruled from Taif up in the mountains. Uh, Could we see that? So they make reservations for us in Taif. Uh, We're packing. They said, you don't have to leave this room. You keep this room. We'll get another room for you up there. Um, so we go up to Taif, and we're, they, they show us all around up in the mountains there. They said, what else would you like to do? And I said, I'd love to ride camels in the desert. So <laughs> next day, they rent a Jeep. They pick us up, and this will crack you up, because we go out, and we're driving, 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 and here's this Bedouin tent. They drive up near the tent. They get out, and they said, you wait here, Roger and they go over and they're talking to the Bedouins because there's a bunch of camels there. I think I took this... We didn't have digital film. I must have taken five rolls of film. The camels were a quarter of an inch tall, a half inch tall. You know, as we get closer and closer and closer, taking pictures of all this. And they're talking on their own, and I find out later what they're saying is, I'm in the Thoban Gutra. I'm tan. I had a black mustache. And I looked... I looked Saudi. I should have been, you know, Roger Moore. I should have been a, a spy because I I can be Mexican. I can be Saudi. I can, you know, yeah, I, I yeah. blend in in all of those different things, and they they want to know what tribe I was with and why was I out there. Bottom line is, we get to go for a ride on the camels, we get to drive, drink camel milk and do all this stuff. It was it was really a hoot, and by now we'd been there a couple of weeks, and starting to feel really kind of embarrassed that we're, you know, we're consuming all this time. and But it was fun. Yeah. Um, so I said, we're going to leave. We appreciate all of you. And we would like to invite you all to dinner. And they had like a binihana in there. Mm. We had all of these people that helped us as our guest. I couldn't pay. Jeez. And as we left, uh, they sent the fireboat out with fire hoses. And this was... Mind-boggling experience.
1: I mean, what? Okay, so you, <laughs> uh, my questions are out the window here. You, you're you're pulling out. You're you're leaving here. The fireboat's going off, and you're going on to the next port. You must just look at Samantha and be like, "What, what just happened?" happened? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. It was. I mean, uh, you just shake your head, and you're like, "Can you believe?" I don't know. That is. But
0: look at the coincidences. They're, they're all a coincidence. Each, mm. each one is a coincidence and we have fun with everybody and respect them all. And I maybe,
1: I would say, I mean, I think, you know, you certainly have a, there's a humbleness, but it's like you say coincidence, but it's all, it's really like opportunities. And I think these things are happening because certainly cause you're open to them and it's how you, you treated people and how you know you approach everything with a, with a certain respect now, not everyone is getting. Not everyone can go to Saudi Arabia and get the treatment you did. I, I no, but that's why I say it's circums- spontaneity, But it's I don't know if coincidence is the right word either. But
0: it really is coincidence that the here's the U.S. Navy is now going through moving all the stuff out after Desert Storm. Okay. I get the introduction from some other way to the 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 consul general, and the port police are really nice to us, so it was uh it was a lot of coincidence and mm-hmm. okay. the opportunities just unfolded. It's like the trip. We never intended to do it, but it just kept happening. And so off we go from there to uh to Egypt mm-hmm. and we uh in Hurgada and a couple of other places there and then to uh to Israel and We had planned to spend the winter in Israel. Um, Another story. We're about 20 or 30 miles from Tel Aviv, and a patrol boat comes out. Um, They radio us and say, everybody on deck, let's see your hands. They circled the the boat, um, and there's a guy in a 50 caliber machine gun in the front. I mean, it's serious. Serious. So they said, where are you going? Where are you from? What are you doing? We said, well, we're, we're going to Tel Aviv, okay, follow us in. So we follow them in, and again, the Choi Lee was pretty big for Port of Tel Aviv, so we're at the police dock. And, uh, Trying to decide if I should tell you that. Yeah, I, I'll tell you this story. There we go. Okay, so...
1: Well, meanwhile, you're probably flagged because you're like the Saudi prince over here. I mean, it's uh, hopefully you're not still wearing the full garb. And so uh, uh, no, no. uh, <laughs> I was smart
0: enough not to do that. But they do everybody like that. I mean, security yeah. in Israel is... We, 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 there's a lot to be learned from, from them at the airport and every place. Yeah. The, the, they're obviously on high alert at all times. So I'm on the, the back of the boat. There you get... Customs, immigration, health, uh, police, and the bomb squad. So all of these guys are descending on the boat. So here we are. Um, I'm on the back deck filling out all these forms. Uh, do you have any weapons? No. Do you have any ammunition? No. Do you have do you have pets? Yes. You know, the dog, the booty, cat, the, the monkey, monkey yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> and we're filling all this out. And the other guy says, uh, can I look inside the boat? I said, absolutely. Samantha? take them through the boat. So they're going into the boat, and uh, they go down to the master cabin, open a cabinet, and they take out a briefcase that I had there, and the briefcase had a 12-gauge shotgun ammo in it because I had a SPAS semi-automatic shotgun. and had a couple of weapons very well hidden on the boat <laughs> that we never declared because it's really a problem to declare them. Yeah, uh, If you declare them in one place and you leaving from another, right. you have to go back and get them. And right. So, uh, you know, I, All right. I, I, this is what I wasn't sure if I should talk about. So but
1: you're, you're leaning into that Roger Moore spy yeah, the, the double. I'm not, or... I'm not convinced that you're not one, but <laughs> it's we'll, we'll, con, we'll continue on anyway. Well, BS spy, right. <laughs> yeah.
0: so, um, so the guy opens up the case, and it's full of ammo, and I'm on the back deck just signed I don't have any ammo. And... Samantha says, Raj, come on down. She didn't even have her glasses on, so she didn't know what was in there. So I walked down, and here's this guy with a case open with a couple hundred rounds of shotgun ammo in it. And he said, what is this? I said, shotgun ammo. He says, you just signed that you didn't have any. Why? I said, because I lied. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. We've never declared them. Uh, we have them for self-defense, uh, and he says, "Go back upstairs." So I go up. They all leave. They say, "Do not get off the boat." And they had a forty-foot ocean container there that was an office right at, on the dock. And I'm sitting there with Sam, and I know they can confiscate the boat, they can arrest me. Uh, this is really ser- this is serious yeah. stuff. So I'm waiting ten or fifteen minutes seemed like an eternity i got off the boat i walked up opened the door to the police thing i fell to my knees literally and i said i can't stand it any longer what are you going to do to me and they all started laughing so they said you really shouldn't have done that uh bring the guns up here take the ammo back we don't have room for it and oh the thing i missed is they said
1: where's the, guns? the gun yeah I'm trying to think. I'm, just, I'm just throwing mm-hmm. shells at people. Yeah,
0: where is the gun that isn't next to another gun? Mm. And so I go to the place where there's, I had a nice Remington pump, 12 gauge. <laughs> I pull that out and one handgun and give it to him. I had an Uzi with a silencer and all this other stuff that. that
1: <laughs> oh I, my God, Roger. Jeez. <laughs>
0: well, you know, you're out there alone. Yeah, you, you want a mini 14, but I've really had some special places made to, to hide them. So, okay. <laughs> the, if we needed them, they were there. Uh huh. And okay, so the store that's the end, of that scary part. And we spent the next five months, six months on the police dock, not under arrest. Um, and we absolutely loved Israel, mm. um, the monkey. Everybody loved the monkey. The monkey ended up starring in a movie there. So I'm on a movie set with the monkey. Um, And an incredible experience. The only place Samantha, in the beginning, did not want to stay. She wanted to leave right away. Because of the, because of that incident? Nope. Because, like, the third night we're there, 10 o'clock at night, somebody's pounding on the side of the boat. I go up there, and I rub my eyes. I said, what is it? We want to see you boat. I said, I'm, so- I'm sorry, we're sound asleep. Well, you're awake now. I, said, I mean, this is really in your face. Yeah. Very, not, not aggressive, but mm.
1: super. Sounds pretty aggressive.
0: Very, you know. Yeah. N- not uh, violently aggressive, but okay. just aggressive for our personalities. Yeah. <clears throat> and... I said, this is not a good time. Oh, okay. So we we'll come back tomorrow. What time is a good time? So uh, you come back in the morning or something. And we're not used to this kind of behavior of people. You know, right. we, we're l- looking at more of the politically correct, all that sort of thing. <clears throat> so once we learned that this is their way of being not aggressive, but being direct, yeah. Extremely direct. And we all know that the, the Israeli society is that way. All you have to do is stand up and say, no, it's not a good time, or no, yeah. this doesn't work. We don't, we're not used to it. And once we realized that, we embraced all the people there, and it was an, that was another incredible experience.
1: Wow. It's, uh, I mean, this, this feels made for a movie. I mean, just the fact that the monkey was in a movie. And it's just, <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm looking at a, a photograph here. It's, uh you teach this monkey how to play the guitar? Uh, no. Oh, it but certainly it looks that
0: way. The monkey loved the guitar, and uh, I was learning. I spent quite a bit of time uh, studying classical guitar.
1: Hmm.
0: And the, the monkey loved the guitar, so she'd sit on my knee. I finally taught her not to touch the strings, so she'd just sit there. And she, liked the, she liked the guitar. Like listening, I guess, to my off notes. <laughs> how
1: did... Well, I guess we'll, for the first time, fast forward slightly. Where, how long was this total trip? When When did you then, when did you finally make the jump back across the Atlantic?
0: Um, well, th- the total trip was 13 years.
1: 13 years. Wow. Never intended to be
0: more than four months. 13 years.
1: Yes.
0: I did stop once or twice. Um, Samantha stayed on the boat or uh, to do some consulting work. Okay. Um, built a golf course in China for, uh, that's another whole story. Of course she
1: did. <laughs> right? Did you, how often did, did you go back to the U.S. at all during this adventure? Did you? Samantha and I would alternate.
0: She would okay. go back one year for family and to pick up things that we needed and I would go back the next year. So we, we we couldn't leave the boat in, yeah. in, alone. Right. So that's that was our routine. So literally, we were on the boat the whole time, other than when I did the work uh, in Hong Kong mm-hmm. in China.
1: How how do you assimilate back into uh, into American life after a trip like this?
0: Oh, it was easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we when we arrived in Fort Lauderdale, uh, the boat needed a lot of work. I can show you some pictures later of me yeah, in the yeah. engine room uh, with the generator block stripped down to the bare block, rebuilding it in place in the in the engine room. Um, but it then needed to be rebuilt again, it needed new decks, it needed to be painted, it needed some new rigging. I mean 13 years at sea was Yeah, that's it.
1: Uh, it needed it's a lot hard of work. On anybody.
0: So I decided that I would sell it and get another boat, maybe a trawler. And that's where I met Jeff Garcia, who's my current business partner. He managed to sell the boat. Hmm. Then I bought another boat through him uh, and realized that with all my experience and sales ability, I could probably be a pretty good broker. And so I joined him. They were selling Rodman boats at the time and started off just selling and then took over the finance side of it. And then we changed the whole company structure and formed Nautical Ventures Group, and,
1: and when was that?
0: That was two thousand and three, I think. That uh, two thousand two or three, that we that I sold uh, the Good Grief.
1: And then the, the Nautical Ventures kind of uh, taking shape was was that time also.
0: That took place probably in two thousand and ten is when we got in the retail business. Before it was fixing up boats, doing brokerage. Um, but new boat sales and...
1: So that was not an opportunity like many parts of your story that you sought it out. I mean, you were buying, you were selling and, and buying a boat, and then they kind of introduced you to formally to the boat business. The boat business, right.
0: Yeah. And, you know, 2008 was a rough year for the boat business, but we, we killed it. Uh, we were buying boats from national liquidators, and the euro was really strong. And Jeff's background, is he's from France, had a marina in France. He ran the Swan Charter fleet down in St. Martin, so he knew all the French territories. So the euro was really high then. The economy here for the boat business was horrible, so we were buying all these boats, fixing them up, issuing a warranty, or guarantee, for 30 days, and sending them down island. We couldn't, put, we couldn't buy boats fast enough. So we got a during the really bad time, we found a niche in the market, and created a really interesting business that was selling used boats uh, in the Caribbean.
1: Finding a niche in the market—I mean, that's—that seems like a good segue to to a little bit more of what you're doing now with with Nautical Ventures. When I think of Nautical Ventures, and I, you know, we really started to worked with you guys a little more in, in the last couple of years as you guys became the deal for axopar and and things like that, and you re, you know really I think have seems to me exploded in size and and scope. Um, but you did you set out to be as much of a disruptor or be, you know, as unique as you are now from the onset, or has it morphed since its founding?
0: Well, no, it hasn't morphed. It's just kind of blown up. Yeah. Uh, In a positive (laughs) blow-up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sure. I came under a lot of criticism in the beginning because in 2010 we bought a small uh, kayak shop that was next to us that was in financial trouble. They were about to file bankruptcy. And they were selling Hobie uh, sailboats, Hobie kayaks. And I saw an opportunity or a synergism between people that buy boats and need toys. Yeah. Yeah. so we, we, we acquired 80% interest in that company and we started to build the retail side of the business. I left Jeff to run the um, the brokerage and the service side of it, and I took over the retail side of it. And the retail side of it, we, we grew slowly. Uh, the markets began to recover. Uh, we then started to get into a couple of new boat lines. big mistake I made was taking on... Baja, Donzi and Fountain, just when they'd come out of bankruptcy. And that, I was wet behind the ears and made some mistakes there, but learned a lot from them. And then, believe it or not, uh, somebody came to me with this funny-looking boat called Axopar. And I said, at that time, if you're, in the, if you're in the dealership or the boat business, one of the difficulties of building the business is, how do you get boat lines? If they're good boat lines, they're already with good boat dealerships. Good point. So how do you grow, how do you grow a boat business? Yeah, with a new one. You have to find new new brands. So the Axobar brand, uh, I'm going to do a little commercial here because this is kind of a, a funny experience. Yeah. I first looked at the boat when it was shown to me, and I didn't like it. Mm. It's got that axe bow. Yep. It's got low freeboard, and it it's, it's weird. Uh, weird to are true. And during the meeting, nothing that they said about the features or anything about the boat, but during the meeting somehow this thing grew on me. By the end of the meeting, I'd kind of fallen in love with the design. And then I then I found out what its performance was like and that the low freeboard, the way it's designed, is not an issue. Um, how it performs with the axe bow and all these other things. and. I tell this, I've told this story a thousand times because when you look at an Axopar, if you hadn't seen one before, I know you're thinking the same thing I thought. And when you listen to me say what I've just said, you're going to say, oh, another typical salesman. He's so full of garbage. And I say, hey, it's now 20 after 10. I'm going to, in 20 minutes, I'm going to ask you how you feel about that boat, and it's going to be different. And you're saying, uh-huh, sure. And I'll, I'll wait, and at 20 minutes, i say, what do you think? How did you know? It just happens to everybody. And now, of course, if you, you know, I live on a boat on the New River, and I see boat after boat go by, and you see an Axopar go by, and everybody's head turns yeah. because it's so different. And now, of course, there's several that are copying it uh, and trying to emulate that same, same look. Yeah. So that was a lucky home run.
1: Yeah, again, I mean, I, f- I feel like you're, uh, you're making your own luck with, with some of these. And, and the, with the Axleport thing, I would say they certainly grew on me within 20 minutes, but that was a 20-minute sea trial. To me, To the me, first time you get on that boat and you, and you start driving around is when you really, that's, that's when you, you, you start to fall in love and you realize, okay, yep, I see what these guys are on now.
0: It's really something special. The performance on that boat is remarkable. And when we, we first started selling the 37s and doing really well, they came out and they redid the, redid the boat. We were just barely getting going. And I said, man, this is, doesn't seem like a smart decision on their part. And it was brilliant.
1: Yeah, keeping it fresh.
0: Keeping it fresh, increasing the performance. Um, you know, they've got a great design firm in Finland yeah. that, that really does the studies, as you well know, on the hull, and the hull performance is great.
1: Well, I, I do see a lot of synergy, especially now meeting you a little bit more and, and getting to know – some of the guys on that team where it's like, you know, the whole we sell fun thing. And these are guys that are always down for a good adventure and, and enjoy the water. So I I think, like, culturally between the two companies, it, it seems like a great fit.
0: Yeah, it's been amazing. We have four years or maybe five years in a row been number one dealer in the world with them. And it's partly, I think, our team and what we're doing and very large part. The, the boat is just a tremendous value. I don't mean yeah. this to be a commercial. I'm just excited no, I, about I, I, about the brand?
1: No, I think I think that's fair, and you know, and certainly we've reported on you guys are growing with even more, even more bringing new brands to the United States, and just struck a, a major partnership with Fairline and stuff like that. So I think it's gonna be a, a very exciting future for you guys. I think you're uh, you're on the the launch pad, I and mean, you guys have already taken off. But uh, one thing I wanted to ask about is the uh, the infamous orange shirts. The uh, you, you shared the story with me once before, but it's really Come such a, such a signature of your company and, and group, but how did that come, did that come about?
0: Well, I think it was our first boat show, Fort Lauderdale boat show, which is always October, end of October, so Halloween, mm-hmm. and I, I noticed going to the show that, you know, everybody's got a blue shirt, a white shirt, you know, they're all nicely, you know, everybody's <laughs> got their logo on their blue shirt, yep. and there's nothing distinctive, so I said, hey, let's do something crazy it's Halloween, let's put on these orange pumpkin shirts and let's, let's go to the boat show with orange pumpkin shirts. Uh, we had maybe 20 people at the boat show at that time when we were just starting. And everybody came up and they said, my God, you guys are everywhere with these orange shirts. Just because we stuck out like a sore thumb. Right. And I've, we've continued to embrace that. It's become our corporate color, the big band around the building. And as Frank points out, you know, orange is the new black, <laughs> and uh, and a lot of our they staff do it. not like the orange shirt. The ladies don't like wearing it, and mm. but it's it's a mandatory. You wear it when you're at Nautical Ventures, and it's uh, it, it, it's been a brand, a part of our brand ID. Um, as we've grown this quickly, we're not the most organized company, mm. but we look organized because everybody's uniform. And we're getting more organized by the day, but it's a, it's a challenge.
1: I, I do well. I I think the shirts are an interesting. Not to be too waxy or poetic, but I do I like the orange shirts because it, it, to me it says not afraid to be different. And as I learn more about about your company, I feel like that I feel like it fits. So, you know, one of the one of the last things we'll start to wind down is, and I really appreciate all the time you've taken today is how your around-the-world experience, this 13-year, can't even say it's a once-in-a-lifetime trip. I mean, this is once-in-a-hundred lifetimes. How does that experience influence who you are today? How does it influence how you approach this company and this business? I think in a, in a lot of different dimensions. Number
0: one, being a waterman and understanding cruising, engines, repairs, service, um, there isn't an element. I mean, I've sanded the bottom off my boat in Tunisia, applied the epoxy paint and the bottom paint. So I, I, I've got every, every piece of it. So it gives me the understanding of what needs to be done, how it needs to be explained to people, and understanding when things go wrong. The first thing you need to know is if you're buying a boat, things are going to go wrong. And expect it. It's not like a car. You turn the key and it goes 100,000 miles Not the case. Uh, So I think that's one thing. My love for it, my passion for it comes through to anyone I meet with or talk with. I think the round the world is uh, something unusual to talk about and fun, and people like to hear about it. Uh, Not a lot of people know about it, but when they find out, they are really riveted by it. Uh, I met recently with the chairman of the board and president of Beneteau, Mm. And I, I couldn't get him off the subject. I mean, he was so interested in how could I have done that, you know. Yeah. It seems like such a difficult task, and it isn't that difficult. I am lucky that I was a pilot. I don't think we covered that no. with TWA. So, you know, the navigation and that sort of thing is similar. Yeah. A lot of pilots sounds. are sailors. Um, so that little bit. Um, and then the cultural experiences, uh, dealing I can remember being in line in Mexico when we first went there to check in with a port captain. And he's got his drawer pulled out a little bit. And you can see there's $5, $1, $10 bills in the drawer. He doesn't ask for anything. But he's expecting a little contribution to the fund. Um, and a lot of Americans just, I will not participate in graft and corruption. Well, it's not graft and corruption. It's their way of life. Yeah. And you're not buying them off. It's just... Uh, you have to change your mindset to enter in, to that culture. Expectations. So those are just little instances where they would be offensive. To I'm not I'm not going to do it. Well, then you get a couple more forms than anybody else gets, and you're yeah, going to have take it, a little longer. And now it's going to be a very unpleasant experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want an unpleasant experience, or do you want to join the culture? So I think we see that in. The people we deal with, because we get people from all over the world that come through here buying tenders and boats coming from all over to be outfitted. Yeah. And you know another st- story or, or element is people will walk in our front door in a tank top, flip flops and shorts, and they will ask if they can finance a kayak because they don't have enough money to buy a Hobie that's maybe $3,000. And we have synchrony finance Six equal payments, no interest. Okay, that's one segment of life. The same looking guy will come in here and drop $80,000 on water sports toys for his mega yacht. And you don't know the difference between these two guys. So if you go into stereotypes, it doesn't work. So treat everyone the same. Treat everyone with respect. And everybody wins. It's more fun to do business. And everyone's got my cell phone. It's on my uh, headline, not the headline, the signature, in my emails. Mm-hmm. I'll take a call anytime, problems or whatever. Yeah. Um, maybe I can't solve it right away, but we'll address it. Okay. So we've we've tried to impart in all of our team. It's relationships that yeah. we're building, not selling boats, hmm. and it's working. It, people Literally. are buying more and more boats from us. We're we're winning clients. We have problems, we have lawsuits, but selling as many boats as we do, you can't please everyone. We try. We do our best.
1: One of the last questions I like to ask, and it's a little ridiculous with you because we've kind of been talking about this entire time, is how, what has boating brought to your life? How has boating changed your life? Wow.
0: Boating is my life. Uh, I've lived on a boat since 1986. I haven't had a house the whole time. I live on an expedition style boat now a northern marine trawler um people say i want to sell it because it's without i sadly i lost samantha a few years ago to als a horrible (laughs) disease um and it's too big and i don't get to take it anywhere because uh i'm here all the time Mm -hmm. i jokingly said to one of the salesmen they said we haven't seen you in a while right in the same building and i said have you noticed that my door doesn't have a door anymore it's got it's got bars They've locked me in, you know yeah, so, yeah but I I'm see that. I'm so passionate and I love what I'm doing so it, I haven't had a day's work the whole time I've been here it's mm. just uh, fun to build it and fun to see the people around me grow and the team is a phenomenal team we're like hundred and fifty three people now and it's it I'm so proud of them
1: yeah well it's uh it, it's it's that that certainly comes through and the whole we sell fun is uh Definitely. I know it's not just a slogan for you guys. It's, uh, I, I see it throughout the organization. Roger, thank you very much for sharing your story with me. And, uh, I look forward to hearing more and, and checking out some of these pictures. It's, it's been a real pleasure and honor. Well, thanks for allowing me to share these things. You know, I forget about it. It's
0: been a long time and just explaining them to you. I relive the the fun and excitement that I had. So thank you.
1: That's amazing. Well, we'll uh, Hopefully we'll, we'll continue this story sometime out on the water. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Thank Roger. Thank you, Daniel. Bye. Bye. I got to say, even a couple months after hearing this story for the very first time, it, it still brings a smile to my face. Roger is just, you know, he's an unbelievable storyteller. He's also incredibly humble. I, I really enjoyed this, this conversation, and I hope you did as well. If you did enjoy it, I hope you like it. Share it out with your friends and family or leave us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts really appreciate it It helps us helps us grow and do more of these things so again for more of the best stories in boating you can subscribe to power yacht at pmymag.com slash subscribe we'll see you on the water